0: Hello, everyone. This is Victor Jackson. Welcome to the Bible-Centered Podcast. Thank you to those that have subscribed. Uh, We've been able to uh, upload some uh, new messages for those that have subscribed. Uh, We're uploading some this week, uh, the different benefits on Apple and Spotify. Spotify. We did get an alert from Spotify that we've had over two hundred uh two hundred six thousand impressions in the past thirty days, which is interesting because we took a month off. And so I just appreciate your hunger for the word of God. Um this Sunday we do start our um services at the sanctuary on Hanging Moss Road, six nine five five Hanging Moss Road, Orlando, Florida. Nine and eleven o'clock service, so we have plenty of room for you. Um, Spanish service at one thirty. Um, I'm I'm excited about uh, going into that this coming Sunday. Let's get let's get into the Word of God. This is why you guys are here, and uh, I'm excited to open up the text. Matthew chapter 13 and verse 24. We have a few scriptures to read. Uh, we're probably going to end this chapter today because it's very much a uh, similar vein of thought that I, I want to break down. Another parable put he forth unto them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is likened unto a man which sowed good seed in his field. This is Matthew thirteen twenty four. But while men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. When the blade was sprung up and brought forth fruit, then appeared the tares also. So the servants of the householder came and said unto him, Sir, didst not thou sow good seed in thy field from whence then hath it tares? He said unto them, An enemy hath done this. The servant said unto him would thou then that we should go and gather them up but he said nay let while ye gather up the tares ye root up also the wheat with them let both grow together until the harvest and in the time of harvest i will say to the reapers gather ye together first the tares and bind them in bundles to burn them but gather the wheat into my barn another parable put he forth unto them saying Uh, The kingdom of heaven is like unto a grain of mustard seed, which a man took and sowed in his field, which indeed is the least of all the seeds. But when it is grown, it is the greatest among herbs and becometh the tree so that the birds of the air come and lodge in the branches thereof. Another parable spake he unto them, the kingdom of heaven is like unto leaven, which a woman took and hid in three measures of meal till the whole was leavened. All these things spake Jesus unto the multitude in parables, and without a parable spake he not unto them, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophet, saying, I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter things which have been kept secret from the foundation of the world. Then Jesus sent the multitude away and went into the house, and his disciples came with him, saying, Declare unto us the parable of the tares of the field. He answered and said unto them, He that soweth the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world, the good seed are the children of the kingdom, but the tares are the children of the wicked one. The enemy that sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the world, and the reapers are the angels. And therefore the tares are gathered and burned in the fire, so shall it be in the end of this world. The Son of Man shall send forth his angels, and they shall gather out of his kingdom all things that offend, and them which do iniquity, and shall cast them into a furnace of fire. There shall be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Then shall the righteous shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their Father, who hath ears to hear. Let him hear. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like unto treasure hid in the field. The which when a man hath found he hideth, and for joy thereof goeth and selleth all that he hath and buyeth that field. Again the kingdom of heaven is like unto a merchant man seeking goodly pearls, who when he hath found one pearl of great price, went and sold all that he had, and bought it. Again the kingdom of heaven is like unto a net that was cast into the sea and gathered of every kind. But when it was full, they drew to the shore and sat down and gathered the good into the vessels, but cast the bad away. So shall it be at the end of the world. The angels shall come forth and sever the wicked from among the just and shall cast them into the furnace of fire. And there shall be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Jesus saith unto them, Have you understood all these things? They say unto him, Yea, Lord. Then said he unto them, Therefore, every scribe which is instructed unto the kingdom of heaven is like unto a man that is a householder, which bringeth forth out of his treasure things new and old. And it came to pass that when Jesus had finished these parables, he departed thence. And when he was come into his own country, he taught them in their synagogue, insomuch that they were astonished and said, Whence hath this man this wisdom and these mighty works? Is not this the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary and his brethren, James and Joseph and Simon and Judas? And his sisters, are they not all with us? Whence then hath this man all these things? And they were offended in him. But Jesus said unto them, a prophet is not without honor save in his own country and in his own house. And he did not many mighty works there because of their unbelief. Ooh, man, we had to, we just wrapped up Matthew chapter uh, 13. We had to read all of these scriptures because all these parables, this, this is a lot of parabolic uh, teaching, and a lot of similar uh, comparisons and contrasts and uh, differences that we have to uh, get into, and so we have we have to get into uh, the subject: uh, a prophet without honor, a prophet without honor. Jesus, his wisdom is. Literally, out of out of this world, the way he is conveying uh, several principles uh, that are demonstrating the kingdom, and everyone was expecting the Messiah to be a military general, and this military general would come in and overthrow. Uh, the Roman oppressors. They thought of the Messiah being somehow violent, that he would be as a king that would lead the charge into battle, uh, destroying every captor, destroying every uh, sinful person that opposed Judaism. But when Jesus comes on the scene, he introduces... The kingdom, not in a physical form, but in a spiritual form. And something that begins very small, not something that is very noticeable in its beginning. But over time, it expands. And so this was a contrast or a disruptor to Jewish thought because They believed that the kingdom would come in a violent, uh, passionate moment that the whole world would witness. But uh, Jesus is literally introducing the principle of despise not the day of small beginnings, that the kingdom starts small, but it continually expands and is transformative, um, not only was this uh, this is what the 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 disciples uh, grappled with, you know, for three and a half years walking with him, and even whenever he's about to ascend into heaven after his resurrection, they're, he they're still saying, "Will you at this time restore uh, Israel?" They're still worried about a uh, physical kingdom in the earth instead of a spiritual kingdom. This is what the Messiah came to do. He he came not to not to just deliver them from their physical captors, but they've come to deliver them from the most spiritual captor, and that is sin. And it is easier to rid you from the oppression of Rome to rid you from the oppression of sin. And so he came to tackle the bigger issue, the more difficult issue. But it was such a... uh, Uh, radical uh, thought. It was met with uh, very much opposition. So he gives this parable of a man sowing seed, good seed in his field. And while he slept, the enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat went his way and uh, it brought forth fruit. But then there appeared tares also. So the servants said, didn't you sow good seed? Where did these tares come from? He said an enemy hath done this. So the servants said, should we gather them all up right now? Said no, let's yes while you if you gather up the tares, uh you will root up also the wheat with them. And so really the tares are like weeds. That would intertwine itself with the wheat. And initial in the initial stages, the wheat and the tares looked the exact same in the in the beginning stages. But as it came into maturity, you could see the difference of what was wheat and what was tares. They had a winnowing process that they would go in and uh, to gather up the wheat. And when they gathered up the wheat, they would toss it in the air and they would let the wind take away the chaff and the wheat, which was heavier, would fall back down to the ground. And that stuff happens at harvest time. You don't want to pull the the terrors too early lest you can hinder the roots uh of the wheat and so he says let let it grow together until harvest time and he said at harvest time i will say to the reapers gather together first the tares and bind them in bundles to burn them but gather the wheat into my barn later he explains this parable uh, um, that he that sows good seed is the son of man the field is the world. The good seed are the children of the kingdom, but the tares are the children of the wicked one. The enemy that sold them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the world, and the reapers are the angels. The tares are going to be burned with fire. So, this he's speaking of a heaven and hell thing here. So, it shall be the end of this, this world. And the Son of Man shall send forth his angels. They shall gather them out of the kingdom of all things that offend and they which do iniquity. He's going to cast them into a furnace of fire. You see here that he's introducing the, uh, a principle of of heaven and hell, and that the children of the kingdom they go they are gathered into the barn into heaven, and the children of the wicked one that they're cast into a furnace of fire. Now I know people don't like to talk about hell, but hell is hell is real. Um, I preached a message years ago on hell's greatest fear, and I talked about how the Bible says that the devils uh, believe in in one God and they tremble, they're afraid of God, and so if they're afraid of God, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God, that means they're also afraid of the Word of God, because there is um, a fear of God, and God is His Word, so there's a fear of the Word. But I talked about how Satan is not afraid of pieces of the word. He's afraid of all of the word. What does that mean? That means that that he has access to different uh, pieces of the scripture. You see that he used that in the wilderness with Jesus whenever uh, he starts quoting scripture, you know, if you be the son of God, you know, it says that, you know, you won't dash your foot against the stone and. He starts quoting scripture so he's not afraid of parts of the word he's afraid of the entirety of the word and so i said hell's greatest fear is sermons about hell and so he doesn't want you to know about hell because he wants you to slowly drift there have behaviors that and decisions that lead you there unknowingly rather than someone get up and warn, hey, these types of actions, these types of things, there is a heaven and there is a hell. So Satan wants to blind the church from knowing, blind the world from knowing about how our actions in this life can lead us into everlasting life or everlasting fire. And what well, we have to understand, if there is no hell, hell was made for the devil. Hell was made for his angels. And they. what's the popular terminology, the popular adage? Misery loves company. So hell is trying to do whatever he can. Satan is trying to do whatever he can to pull as many people into uh, hell with him. The Bible says Jesus isn't willing for anyone to perish. He doesn't want anybody to go to hell. And so he has done everything required and gone above and beyond to save people from everlasting fire. And so with hell, it's real. And he doesn't want us to go there, but. People in their own decisions and their own enticements of Satan, uh, there's, there is a hell. Now, people don't like talking about hell. It's early in the morning. We're doing a live b- b- broadcast. <laughs> we're on, you know, it's six o'clock in the morning as we're doing this live on our YouTube channel, Bible Centered with Victor Jackson, and on Facebook Live, uh, Victor M. Jackson. But it's an important concept. Here's why, because people have tried to take away this concept of hell. But when you take up the take away the concept of hell, you 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 take away the value of what God did for us on the cross. because if there is no hell, there is there is no need uh, to believe. If there is no hell there is no need to get baptized or receive his spirit. If there is no hell, there's no need to repent. If there is no hell, there is no need. Here it is. This is where I'm going to help somebody. There's no need for mercy. You see, to take hell away is to assault God's nature. Because mercy, the very definition is, when God withholds judgment, So what happens when you eliminate the concept of judgment? If you eliminate the concept of judgment, you eliminate the concept of mercy. And mercy is God's nature. Oh, my goodness. Are are you getting this? Mercy is God's nature. Mercy, he,
1: he withholds
0: judgment. And when he withholds judgment from us, sin deserves judgment. When he withholds judgment, we see his mercy. But if you eliminate the concept of judgment, you eliminate the concept of mercy. So we cannot even see God properly if there's no judgment. So I'm giving us a healthy lens into the entirety of Scripture because he is showing here that the righteous are going to shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their father and others are going to be cast into a furnace of fire. Now, God is righteous and holy. And so um, we stand guilty before him. We're in a series on Romans right now. We stand guilty before him, but he has done everything he can to pardon us. He he is already finished. He's done everything he needs to do to pardon us. And so that is all accessible. But we have to come to him through grace, by faith, through by grace, through faith to him. He's already done the work, but we have to have an obedience. And so, again, this message on there being a, a heaven and a hell is is important. Because we get to see something about God's nature in this. Uh, I hope I didn't scare you too early this this morning. And so that's that's what that tarred parable explains. But let's go to the mustard seed in verse 31. So I went from verse 30 to 36 through 43. Now we're going to go to verse 31 to talk about the mustard seed. The kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed, which a man took and sowed in his field which indeed is the least of all the seeds. But when it is grown, it is the greatest among herbs and becometh the tree so that the birds of the air come and lodge in the branches thereof. So he, again, he's showing that the kingdom is starts very small as a grain of mustard seed and uh, a mustard, uh, a mustard uh, tree could grow anywhere from eight to 12 foot. And he's saying that it starts small. But when it starts growing, it becomes one of the largest, um, one of the greatest among the herbs and becomes a tree. Here it is. So that the birds of the air come and lodge in the branches thereof. He's saying don't despise uh, the small progressions of, of the kingdom because it may be a seed, but there are birds relying on that seed. There, are, there are, uh, There's life forms that are dependent on that seed. And so what we have to understand is that Satan's goal against your life is to come and take the seed out of your life. Uh, He wants to come at you in your infant stage when God does an initial work that looks small in the beginning but has the potential to grow into something big. And so when you receive something, quote unquote, small from the Lord, it is... To be something to be protected and guarded because there are future people that are relying on that seed to grow up so they can come and take refuge in it. Now, what you have to understand is that anything great starts in seed form. One of the things that Adam was missing was Adam. He was missing something that we have. And I'll give you um, an example of this. Adam, I believe, was at a disadvantage from the beginning. Here's why. He didn't have the opportunity to grow. There's something in the growing process that is so important that you adopt and that that you get that you can't get anywhere else. What am I, what I mean? So you and I have the opportunity to begin in seed form. We have the opportunity to be born, to be nine months in the womb, to be birthed, to be a month old, two months old, six months old, three years old, seven years old, 25 years old, 46 years old. 67 years old, 92 years old. We have the opportunity to grow up from th- as a seed. Adam never had that opportunity. When he was born, he was full grown. And there's things that you miss in the process of being a, a, a seed, being small, and growing up. There's things, there's attributes, there's things that are that, that are adopted into our lives when we have that opportunity for growth. Honestly, there's a sense also of gratefulness because you get to see where you came from. Not only gratefulness, but also a humility because people got pictures of you in diapers. And so businessmen, CEOs, billionaires, um, Guess what? They all started in diapers. Isn't that humbling? Nobody should be prideful. Somebody had to change your diaper, and nobody should be uh, feel like they're all that in a bag of chips when they everyone had to be dependent on someone growing up. That's the power of seed form. You get to see something grow and progress. You get to see things being shed off. You get to see the metamorphosis. You get to see. Uh, uh, how the face changes the cheeks aren't as chubby it it starts becoming more thin you see y'all 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 pray for me my mom has pictures of me with my hair my hair was like super like big and uh she put like a barrette in it uh there's a picture out there like I got an apple in my hand with this big hair with the a barrette in in there what was my mom doing to me if my mom's listening to this mom what were you doing to me? I guess it was she. She envisioned me being on a podcast, walking in this humility, because there's a picture out there somewhere with me having an apple in my hand and a red in my head. Amen. And so, there's things in seed form that that are important and valuable, and Satan wants to attack those things. Very early because of the possibility of it growing up and things taking refuge in that seed. And so Adam never had the opportunity to grow from seed form. When he was made, he was made as a whole man. He was made as a whole man. So he missed the process of development because he had no one to nurture him. And so I think that sometimes you can take some things for granted when you don't have that process. This is why you can't just, you know, decide to go to Mount Everest and take a helicopter and go to the top of the mountain. If you go to the top of the mountain on the helicopter without going through the process, you would die in less than five minutes. Um, you would die, you, you would die very quickly because you didn't take the journey up. And there's something about the journey up that that teaches and trains and trains your breathing and trains how to handle yourself um, when you get to the mountain. And so Satan's desire is to get you in in seed form. So while I was a child, uh, all types of things were coming against me, you know, uh, uh, abuse you know, being beaten. Uh, So many things were coming against me as a kid, why? Because Satan knew that I would be here on a Thursday morning teaching on this podcast 30 years later. And so he wants to attack you in infant stage. That's what they did with Jesus. They attacked Jesus in his infant stage when he was in Bethlehem under two years old, never uh, healed anybody hadn't spoken yet, uh, hadn't healed of the blinded eye, a deaf ear, hadn't died for anybody, yet all of King Herod's men came out against him because hell understood that we would take refuge in him. We would take refuge in that seed. So in order to get to the birds or get to the people that are going to take refuge, we got to get to them as a seed. So that's what the kingdom is. Satan wants to choke out the seed in your life. He wants to choke out the seed in your life because he's afraid of what it's gonna, what that kingdom is going to grow up into. And so it starts small, but it ends up being the greatest thing ever. Another parable, speaking unto them, the kingdom of heaven is like unto leaven, which a woman took and hid in three measures of meal till the whole was leavened. Now he shows that uh that a little leaven it put in a loaf that over time the whole loaf becomes leavened, and it shows again the progression of um of the kingdom, and how in these three measures of meal till the whole was leavened it's like leaven which a woman took and hid in three measures of meal till the whole was 11. So again, it starts small. It's a small, it's a, like a small, it's like an investment that that it, it took everything, but it looks small, but over time it takes over everything. That's what Christianity was. It started with, you know, one man and it grew to 12 men and it grew to uh, multitudes and then it was 120 men in the upper 120 people in an upper room and then it grew in a day to 3000 and then it grew to 5000 and then it's grown to billions it started small but it 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 expanded very quickly that's the power of the kingdom and the expanse is not just in territory this is a spiritual advance this is a spiritual kingdom so he speaks all these parables. Now let's go to verse 44. Again, the kingdom of heaven is likened to treasure hid in the field, which when a man hath found, he hideth and for joy thereof goeth and selleth all that he hath and buyeth that field. Again, it's when a man finds a treasure, he hides it. And They're looking at him, and he has this joy in selling out, selling everything to go and buy the field. The kingdom is so interesting because he's excited about sacrifice. No one else sees the treasure. Only he sees the treasure. But they see him his life being affected by a treasure they don't see. And he sells everything. He gives up everything to go and buy this field that nobody knows the treasures inside of it. It's a hidden treasure. But the hidden treasure has affected his life, where other can others can see the joy and the effects of his life. The kingdom is so interesting because we're give we'll give up something in this world to get a treasure no one could see with their eyes. Think about that. I looked like a fool giving up hundreds of thousands of dollars in scholarship, hundreds of thousands of dollars in, in potential. Uh, playing overseas, you know, playing in, in whatever way possible, making money, as a lot of my friends are currently. You look like a fool giving that up for a God you can't see, for a calling you can't see, for something that's not even tangible. But I saw the treasure, and I said, I've got to sell everything to get this treasure. God brought me to Orlando. It it looked crazy. I gave up um, uh, traveling 220 flights of year with my family, going all around uh, the nation and abroad, different countries, very successful, accepting about 1% of my engagements, this is what everyone dreams for, preaching to, to to millions of people a year. This is what people dream for. And then I, I, I see uh, a treasure in Orlando that no one else sees. So I went to sell our home. We sold everything that we have to come to Orlando and build a church because we saw something in the spirit that, Others can't see physically. So we're here because of a spiritual treasure. And that's the thing about the kingdom. The kingdom will have you sacrificing stuff in time so you can gain something in eternity. That that eternity consciousness impacts a life. So you got to get persuaded of the treasure. You got to get persuaded of what's laid up for you. You got to get persuaded that the kingdom is advancing, and you'll get so persuaded that you'll have joy in sacrifice. So, there's not one sacrifice I've done for the Lord that I've regretted. I'm going to say that again not one sacrifice I've done for God that I have ever regretted. The kingdom of heaven is like unto a merchantman seeking goodly pearls, who, when he hath found one pearl of great price, went and sold that all that he had and bought it. One pearl. This guy was seeking a lot of pearls, but he found that one pearl. Once he found that one pearl, he said, I don't need any other pearls. I'm going to sell all that I have and buy this one pearl. The kingdom is worth the investment. It's worth investing in the kingdom. Again, verse 47, the kingdom of heaven is like unto a net that was cast into a sea, gathered of every kind, which when it was full, they drew to the shore and set down and gathered the good into vessels, but the bad cast the bad away. So shall it be at the end of the world, the angels shall come forth and sever the wicked from the just and shall cast them into the furnace of fire There shall be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Now, again he is showing that in the kingdom that there is a division that there is a separation that takes place he's introducing the concept of the ecclesia the called out those that are called to live by the principles of an invisible kingdom and in a visible world and then they reap the fruit and the rewards from allowing that spiritual world to dictate their steps in the physical world. He asks, do you understand these things? They say, yeah, Lord, we understand. Jesus saith unto them, have you understood all these things? They say, "Yea, Lord. Then said he unto them, therefore, every scribe which is instructed unto the kingdom of heaven is like unto a man that is a householder, which bringeth forth out of his treasure things new and old. So he's saying, listen, you, you're, there there's new concepts there's new principles there's new things and there's old things that he, he's fulfilling the the old testament the old law and he is establishing the new testament and the new testament according to scriptures is the new testament the new covenant is greater than the old covenant um the writer of hebrews said that there wouldn't be need for a new covenant if there wasn't found fault in the old covenant now the fault in the old covenant is not god's but it's man man's incapability of keeping the laws and the covenant of the old old testament the old covenant so it's found fault because we couldn't can hold up our end of the deal and so he had to establish a new covenant now the old covenant they put they sprinkled goats blood and the blood of bullocks and goats, and establishing that first covenant. But now with this new and better covenant, it is uh, inaugurated not with the blood of goats and lambs and, uh, and, and oxen, but it's established with the blood of Jesus Christ. And so this is a new and better covenant. And it came to pass that when Jesus, verse 53, had finished these parables, he departed thence, and when he had come into his own country, he taught them in their synagogue insomuch so much that they were astonished, saying, Whence hath this man this wisdom and these mighty works? Is not this the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary, and his brethren James and Joseph and Simon and Judas, and his sisters, are they not all with us? Whence hath this man all these things? And they were offended in him. But Jesus said unto them, a prophet is not without honor, save in his own country and in his own house. And he did not many mighty works there because of their unbelief. Now, Jesus is operating in such wisdom that he is offending them because they're like, where did this come from? Where did this come from? Who did he train under? Who was his rabbi? Because he he was pulling out spiritual concepts that the world had never seen and his upbringing was jealous and envious of him and they tried to discredit him by saying is not this the carpenter's son is not his mother called Mary wasn't this the woman that was accused of ha- you know having an illegitimate child? because she said she had God in her womb. So they began to try to discredit him because of his upbringing. Mm. Mm. They They began to try to discredit him because of his upbringing. amazing when God puts greatness in an individual, how some of the greatest opposers to that greatness will be those that are closest to him or her, that they will not recognize your greatness until strangers recognize your greatness. It's like starting a company. You're trying to look for help from your family. They don't believe in it. They're not helping. Some A stranger recognizes the business. They want to help. They start blessing you. All of a sudden, your business blows up. You're doing good, and the family can get offended because of the success that you have had. A prophet is without honor in his own country. You got to stop looking for the affirmation uh, of those that are closest to you and start looking into the presence of God for affirmation. Because even Jesus working among his family, working among his kinfolk, he couldn't even do mighty, mighty works and he's God in the flesh. Stop spending all your time trying to persuade people to like you or believe in you or invest in you. Just do God's will whether people respect you or not. Some people wait for this affirming word and of confidence and And to you're waiting for somebody to believe in you it's not going to come for your from your circle. you can't live from for the affirmation of family and the affirmation of friends somewhere you have to obey God whether they agree with you or not, whether they love you or not. see family knows how to also manipulate if you if they don't like something you're doing, they'll start withholding love from you they'll start withholding compliments from you to try to rear you back in and bring you back into mediocrity you have to learn how to obey God and be great in your obedience to God you know I I I told someone I said more people have been destroyed by acceptance than rejection you know they keep you in the crowd in the fold because the only way you're there is if you're mediocre and normal but the minute you start trying to obey the scriptures or start trying to believe for great things or walk in the abundant life that God has promised, all of a sudden there's conflict. And what did Jesus say? A man's enemy shall be they of his own household. He said, I've not come to bring peace. I've come to bring a sword. I've come to bring you have to choose. He said, He said, the the mother-in-law is going to be set against the daughter-in-law, the the father against the son, the the the, the mother against the daughter. Uh, because there's something about your allegiance to Jesus that's going to make people uncomfortable. And you have to be willing for your walk with God to make people uncomfortable. It's amazing how I've seen people addicted to drugs and the family don't intervene. I've seen people addicted to alcohol and the family doesn't intervene. I've seen people uh, uh, that have done terrible things and the family never intervened. But as soon as they decided to serve Jesus, as soon as they decided to live for God, all of a sudden the family wants to intervene and says, you don't have to do that. It doesn't take all that. It doesn't take all that. Why? Because your investment in the kingdom, your investment in God is highlighting uh, their sins. It's highlighting their shortcomings. There, It's highlighting their issues. And... They want to discourage you so they, they can feel better. You ha- have to understand that Jesus came into his own and his own received him not. And sometimes you have to to help your family and to help people that are close to you. It's going to take your obedience to God and your obedience to the scriptures, and they may not like you for a while. And that's okay because guess what? It's, this is ultimately going to benefit them later. So don't take it personally. Don't get bitter. Don't hate them. No, just keep loving them, but just obey God. Because it's going to help them in the long run. Okay? It's going to help them in in the long run. It's going to help them in the time to in the time to come. Um I remember whenever I I got saved and um it caused the conflict in, in my family with my with my mom and my three sisters, where we really didn't talk for years. And there was this tension there. But this was ultimately gonna better our family. And now, it's a, it's a different thing now. It's a different thing, you know, 15 years has passed. My mom loves coming to church. My, my sister comes to church. We baptized my younger sister in Jesus' name this year. They love God. And they are so thankful for the decision that I made back then. Uh, they didn't understand it. They resisted it. They opposed it. They, they thought I was crazy for giving up my scholarships. Uh, but now they're reaping the fruit of my obedience. And that's what you have to think about. You can't let whether family believes in you or not, or whether friends believe in you or not, to, to dictate your obedience. And so Jesus, he was without honor in his own country. But guess what? He still died for them. Isn't that incredible? What a love, what an unconditional love. He came to help them, but with the pharisees they were they hated him. But guess what? He still died for them. And you have to still obey and don't let this is the part of the journey of growth. Don't let anything get into your spirit. Don't let any hatred or malice or bitterness to seep into your spirit. You just obey God and leave the rest up up to God Jesus God is God God in the flesh Um, and they did not want to receive him they did not want to receive him and um, and it's just a part of the journey he had all this wisdom that they never heard from listen if people are going to reject Jesus people are going to reject you If Jesus is perfect and they wanted to kill him, could you imagine us and our imperfections? Hey, people may not like us as well when we're serving him, but you got to be okay with that. You got to be okay with that. Don't live your life trying to gain the approval of others. Live your life walking in the approval of God. You are a child of God. You are a daughter of the king. You are a son of God. They that are led by the spirit of God, they are the sons of God. And you know what? You have to be content with that validation on your life. And if you don't get content with that validation on your life, people are going to try to control your life by validation or lack thereof. You have to be content with God creating you. You have to be content that God died for you. You have to be content with God loving you unconditionally. And let that be the sign of approval. Don't let it be... um, what comes from from man? A pat on the back is nice, but a well done, thou good and faithful servant is much better. A thumbs up is great, right? A thumbs up from Facebook is great, but um, a thumbs up from God is 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 way better. We can't be controlled by valid by validation. Now, this world is kind of. Super controlled uh, by validation is what Friedrich Nietzsche said. He this was an atheist philosopher, atheist German philosopher. He said he said that the concepts such as evolution has caused our society to believe that life has no value, and as a result, we will create a fictitious world to get our values from. He wrote that in the late 1800s. This was before television. This was before the internet. This was before all of these things. But what he was saying was, because we feel no value in this world, we will create a fake world to get our value from. That's what social media is. That's what all of these things are. People see no value in this world. And so they get try to get all their value in um, this uh, fictitious world. So people will spend hours, uh, making, you know, filtered photos and all these things of themselves because they don't feel any value in their real life. You know what I'm saying? And I'm telling you, you have value because God created you. You have value because you have been created by God. Therefore you have a purpose he made you, therefore you have a purpose in this earth. And so people get their their values from, you know, a like or a heart. I asked someone, I said, man, has ever, anyone ever seen like a physical thumbs up come and just like everything that you do? Like you go to the store and a physical thumbs up say, man, love it. Awesome. Keep up the great work. Like, oh, thanks, thumb. Thanks, blue thumb. I say, has anyone ever seen a physical red heart just follow you and say, man, I heart that. Man, that, you're awesome. I heart that. Oh, thanks, heart. It's wonderful. These are things that don't even exist, yet we dictate our value in something that doesn't exist. These are things that are man-created, man-generated. And years ago, when I first introduced this concept, this was like in 2016, 2017 when i first introduced this concept i said listen you're allowing the world to dictate your value it's i said it's a thumb now it's a heart now and then i said now watch one day they're going to say stars if you don't have enough stars like it doesn't matter how many hearts or likes you have you need some stars and if you don't have stars you're not valuable and lo and behold like 2 years ago <coughs> facebook creates the stars and I said, look at this. Like I said that literally three years before Facebook did it, and now it's stars. See, they don't allow the world to dictate your value with things that don't exist. This book is real. God's word is real. This is real. And this is worth your investment. And it may start as a small investment but I'm telling you, you just listening to this podcast this morning or wherever you are, you listen. It may look like a small investment, but I'm telling you, this seed is going to grow up in your life. And it's going to make a difference. And, and And family and friends are going to come to you looking for that seed. And they're going to take refuge in in the seed that you have. It looks small. It starts small. See, it's just a podcast. It's just, you know, I'm spending uh, about 55 minutes Uh, Speaking to you this morning, it's just a small investment. You're listening, but I'm telling you what it's going to do in your life and in your world. It's going to make such an impact. People are going to take refuge in it, and you're going to have words. You're going to have enlightenment. As we're studying the Book of Matthew together, you're you're going to be able to speak with clarity and understanding. And this small investment is going to be able to be a word and seed for somebody that is discouraged. So it may be small now, but I'm telling you, it grows up, and it grows up fast, and it's going to help more people than you can imagine. But you have to be comfortable being a prophet without honor. You have to be comfortable uh, people not recognizing that that seed in your life. You have to be comfortable not trying to prove yourself to everybody. God loves you. God cares for you. Be content with that validation. I believe in you. I care for you. Be content with God's validation on your life. And what a privilege it is to serve you. You're going to have a great day today. God's going to use you. God's glory rests upon your life. Uh, Be blessed. But don't let others' perception of you dictate your value. Allow God's perception of you to dictate your value. I love each and every one of you. Thank you for joining this morning. Share this podcast with somebody. We're helping people around the world, over 100 nations a week. Share it. I look forward to seeing you tomorrow. God bless. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, For more information, you can follow my social media page, Victor M. Jackson, or you can come visit us in Orlando, Florida at Bible Center of Orlando. Thank you for joining us. God bless.